Earthlings, this is Dan Panic, and you have entered the Dummy Room. This is the big time, girly. This is rock and roll. Hey everybody, you're in the dummy room. I'm Jody Have Not Joined as always by Nasty Nate Menace. What's up? Love is in the air, man. Is that what that smell is? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it is the uh, Valentine's Day special. We got one of the uh, greatest love song writers ever. Yes. Joe Queer's here tonight. Yeah, man, it's gonna be a blast. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's episode ninety-three. What are we gonna do? We got Joe, and we're, we're gonna waste a bunch of time talking about other shit. <laughs> yeah, not this time. Let's just get to Joe, dude. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah, let's do it. D U M M Y R O O M. Coming up next, we got a guest. We got a guest coming up next. Coming up next, we got a guest. We got a guest coming up next. I know this guy needs no introduction, but I got to say, next year is the 40th anniversary, 40 years of the queers. Uh, that makes this guy an absolute punk rock legend. Joe Queer, it's it's cool to have you on the show finally. How you doing? Woo! I finally made it. I feel like, you know, <laughs> this guy who first uh, climbed Mount Everest here, you know, I made it to the dummy room. So very yeah. excited, gentlemen. Very excited. Uh Cliffy Huntington's uh, insurance salesman canceled, so. <laughs> yeah, the guys get a kick out of that when I wrote that up. They put me up to put in that little post. I figured you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So, uh, well, let me ask you about this, uh, this, this next year, this 40th anniversary a little bit. I don't want to get too far in the future, but uh, is there anything cool planned you can tell us about? A new album, a big tour, anything like that? 40th anniversary we're still kind of riding the wave from the, the 30 year <laughs> anniversary and now it's going to be 40 man this is great yeah. um, but uh well we're doing a new album we're going to record it in the next month or two so we're working feverishly on songs so nice. um so we're finally going to do a new album i'm kind of excited about it too yeah it's coming out good damn i can't wait for that and then you know we're going to europe in april and may and i don't know you know we're you know we're always touring and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know, just business as usual, I guess. Yeah, always touring. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't stopped in 25 years at least. Hey, I owned a restaurant for four or five years, and Larry Livermore called me on a Friday night. I was flipping burgers, and it's called Joe's Place in Exeter, New Hampshire. And my cook, Don, he was a punk guy, hired all the punks. He's like, hey, Larry Livermore's on the phone. And I talked to Larry, and he goes, hey, this is Larry Livermore. You want to do an album, Love Song? So I said, yeah. And, you know, after I was working 90 hours a week and making $150 a week. And, um, you know, we made Love Songs. I think my first royalty check was 4200 bucks, And I showed that thing to my dad. <laughs> and I said, Dad, man, I am, I'm going to go play music. And he said, Jesus Christ. He goes, I don't blame you. <laughs> And I ended up selling the restaurant, but that was, you know, I worked, 
Also, um, when I toured, when I didn't tour, I worked for my brother as a commercial fisherman. So I did that for 12 years. You know, this time of year, we'd be out 100 miles offshore from Gloucester, Mass or Portsmouth, New Hampshire. You know, and after doing stuff like that, touring is like a day at the Playboy Mansion. I absolutely (laughs) love it. I have friends. I mean, you're doing a job where people cheer for you and and beg you for more. and, And you make new friends. Every time I turn around, every tour, I'm making new friends. And it's like really a dream come true, what I wanted to do in high school, you know. So I, I love touring. I really do. Not all of it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, most of it's a blast. So, Dude, I love the fact that you're still out there having fun. You know, I was seeing you guys in the mid-90s, which was like, you know, 25 years ago, like Nate was saying. It's just so fucking cool that one of my favorite bands is still like one of my favorite bands. You know, 25 years later... And you're still out there touring and kicking ass. And, you know, it's just, it's rad, dude. Yeah. And, like, who would have thought, you know, in, in the year 2020, I'd still be going yeah. to see the Queers play. I guess I just never thought that far ahead or something. Yeah, I don't either. We always get flack, or I get flack, for having different band members. If you look at our Wikipedia page, it's like <laughs> everybody who's ever served us a fucking order of French fries has been in the band, it says. And, and of course, they're mainly guys that have toured with us and, there's, you know, maybe 15, 16 guys that were in the band, like B-Face and Hugh and, and yeah. Wimpy and stuff. But it's funny that we're still going, but everybody brings something to the table and the bands kind of went through the Wimpy Tulu phase and then the Hugh B-Face phase and then, right. and then the Dangerous Dave, Chris Fields, Punk Rock Confidential phase. And everybody brings something to the table. And we've learned so much through the years that now me, Cheetos on bass, Hoglog on drums, and Ginger, our guitar player, who fills in, you know, he comes up and plays half the set while I sing. It, we're really taking it up to another level. I mean, we played that thing. Neither of you guys made it to the Weasel show at the House of Blues that we played there with him recently. Nope. No, I wish I oh, could have made it. We killed it, man. We killed it. We're, I mean, if you hold your own, we've been touring with the Dickies a lot and Dwarves, and they always headline. And I'm telling you, if you got to hang in there with the bands like the Dickies and Weasel, You've got to have your shit together. So it yeah. really helped us to like, you know, try to get better and watch these bands. I mean, the Dickies, they sound like the album every night. Even now, after like 40 years together, they sound like the album. <laughs> and it's nothing to do with speed or, um, you know, I don't know. They just always are right in the pocket. And we learned a lot. Most punk bands, you'll see them and they get excited. And they play 100 miles an hour. Weasel does it. The Parasites do it. Queers used to do it. And then we're watching the Dickies and I go, you guys, they got more power if they slow down. CJ Ramon was, and I were talking about that. That's why he doesn't play 100 miles an hour. So anyway, we've really brought our ball game up from the old days. So um, we're having a blast these days. I'm really proud of the band. It's the best it sounded. I mean, we're really, you know, turned a corner and went into a, a different level. So, um, yeah, I know we were talking about how long we're playing, but it gets exciting to try new stuff and try to we always try to best the show before. And so we always it keeps us going. You know, it doesn't get boring because we're always thinking, what song can we throw in the set? You know, yeah. can we do this? Can we do Chewy Chewy sometimes? Ooh, I like to kiss you like you wouldn't like to miss 
don't have a set list. So it's really, you know, it's, it's always exciting and interesting for us to play. So we're always trying to get better. So that's our thing lately. That's awesome. I got it. I got to ask you about that Chicago show last year. What, what was the deal with that weird curtain incident? Well, first off, it's a place that we shouldn't have played. You know, nobody, they didn't <laughs> like, they don't respect Weasel. They don't respect Big Wig and they, they don't respect the queers. And so we all sound checked. And then the, the guy, you're at the House of Blue Chicago. So we all sound check. And of course, everything's in the computer and all that stuff, right? You just hit a button, save, boom, you're all set. Mm-hmm. The fucking monitor guy didn't save any of the settings. And I think it was deliberate. So, excuse me. And then the front of house guys, I was smart enough to bring our front of the house guy, Mike, from Southgate House down in Cincinnati, well, Covington, Kentucky. And so I brought Mike up. I brought one of my studio compressors for my vocals. Dude, we sounded like a million bucks, man. But Weasel <laughs> used in-house and so did Bigwig. The first four songs for Weasel, the guitar wasn't coming through. And where I'm going with this is I think it was all deliberate. I don't think they liked us at all. Wow. So when we got up there and we were fucking killing it, man, we had a keyboard player for Mrs. Brown. I mean, we played oh, almost a different set completely to the last um, four or five songs where we did I think Ursula KKK and fuck the world or something like that. And we went into this place sucks and they didn't like us at all. And then they just pulled the curtain and they, I knew that they thought the song was, we were saying it about the club or something like that. And the guy was real confrontational backstage. And I was like, we're all in the same boat here. And he's like, you went over. And I go, don't tell me at the house of blues that the queers are the only fucking opening band that ever went over by two minutes. I mean, don't even, you know, what are we shooting a fucking rocket to the moon here? We got to do it for the second. And, and he kind of backed off, you know, he's giving me shit. I go, I'd rather be friends with you, dude. And so he backed off, but they were just doing it because they thought we played this place sucks to, um, to put the club down, I believe. So, mm. I mean, you know, I mean, whatever it was, stu- a lot of people thought it was deliberate, but, uh, it's something people remember, you know, so uh, it was a shitty. They tried to do it to give a shit, but we were in such a good mood after the set that, um, you know, we're like, yeah, whatever, fuck it, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Getting into that thing, I thought it was a really good episode with the queers. I was quite flattered. You guys really hit the nail on the head with the queers albums, rating them and stuff like that. I had a couple of you, you really had good insight on what the albums are as fans, you know, um, but. Our early days, really, when we were touring with the Muffs and Rancid, and um, we never really gelled. It was really weird. I was always getting another guitar player, Murph from the Cretans, Eric Coleman. We had various. We had Bill from um, Dylan Jafour play guitar for us one tour. Um, And I was trying to get the sound filled out more, and I never was happy with the sound. But anyway... It was such a great time in our lives, the early 90s, where Green Day was out. And every time you turned around, it was like the mob, Screeching Weasel, MTX. I mean, you name it. It was killer, you know? Yeah, it was. And so even the secondary bands on Lookout, High Fives, The Smugglers, they were awesome. They were killer bands, you know? And so everybody was, it was such a fun time that we got away. People are nostalgic for the B-Face Hugh Joe lineup because it was such a good time in our lives. But, um, you know, Move Back Home to me is not our best album, but many, many people love it. You know what I mean? You guys like it because it was such a great time 
in our lives. And it was for me too. You know, it was such a cool time that period with beat off. And, you know, in those few years, it was a magical time for a lot of people. So we were lucky that we got away with, um, beat off was okay. And then moved back home. Ben said it, we needed another six months to make that out, to play with the songs and really flesh it out. But as an album, you know, it's got, you guys loved it. I mean, you picked it number one. It was great. There's so many people <laughs> love that. But yet, if you pick it apart, to me, everything's going my way. Cut it, dude. She's a Cretan. Uh, you know, it's kind of secondary, really. I just didn't think it was, when we did Don't Back Down, I was so excited to do those stuff and the Beach Boys songs. And to me, it's a much better album than Move Back Home. But we're lucky with the queers because some people like beat off their favorite album or move back home. So it's kind of cool. But I think a little bit is a nostalgia thing because it's that time in our life was so special for all of us, me included. It was such a cool thing that we were lucky we got away with that album. Um, that was my that's my take on it anyway. <laughs> but I was kind of kind of, you know, excited when you guys said move back home first. You agreed on that. It's funny. But yet every Queers album has its fans. Some people say Beyond the Valley is their favorite. You know, Back to the Basement or whatever. Your Monkey Brain. So, yeah. um, I mean, but I thought you were, the thing about Monkey Brain, I don't know who was saying it, one of you guys, but it, it did have a couple of dead songs. But I really like that album. That and Pleasant Screams, I think, are kind of unsung. I thought that was really both those albums have some really good moments now i gotta take issue the only thing in the whole program you guys that i thought you didn't pick up on was on um monkey brain i'm really proud of brian wilson that lisa and i wrote and sing and and i think she's starting to like me i wanted to make a beach Boys song that could actually maybe the beach boys could have recorded right. and so i'm very very proud of those songs and you guys didn't really seem to like them but <laughs> um do kind of moku is more of a live thing and i like that one too so it was kind of funny but you know the monkey in a suit and um uh you know, uh, I forget that other slow song. Uh, it, it, there's a couple of duds there. You're right. When you kind of get to the end of the album, we should have changed them or just written more songs. But um, anyway, I just had to mention that because I was really I really love Brian Wilson and I think she's starting to like me. But, you know, it's it's all good. Yeah. Oh, so let me ask you. It's not typical pop punk for sure. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. What's uh, what's your favorite album you've done? I think probably. Grow Up, we used to love. It wasn't recorded as an album, but we loved the songs, and that's what we were playing in the late 80s in Boston. I love that. But um, Love Songs was really excited, exciting yeah. because we, we had all those songs and we knew it would make a killer album. And um, though the recording wasn't that great, we recorded it in like 17 hours because wow. she was on methadone and had to fly out to Indianapolis and blah, blah. We should have done it back in New Hampshire, but whatever. So, but I was really proud of that one. And, um, and don't back down. Oh, yeah. You know, we really, I wanted to, cause you guys, we had done beat off and moved back home and, you know, they got their fans, but I was like, dude, MTX is hitting home runs every time they write a song, you know, weasels doing anthem for a new tomorrow or whatever, you know, the off screened, you know, everybody's <laughs> hitting home runs. And I go, dude, we've got to get a killer album out. And I was very proud of that album. Cause I thought we turned the corner 
and really took it to a different level. So I really like yeah. that album too. You know, oh, me too. That was one of my big favorites back then for sure. It was like the production was so much better than the last couple, and the songs were fucking great. Yeah, yeah, dude. Don't back down is like an essential album. some dog songs here and there punk rock confidential had uh rancid motherfucker you know that was kind of filler <laughs> stuff but um uh but the don't back down i thought was pretty good start to oh, yeah. finish there's songs on there i don't like i gotta admit you know really i like pretty much everything on there mm. so that was that's like my favorite but we had a blast pleasant screams was a good album oh, yeah monkey brain was a pretty good album um, you know, if we just took out a couple songs and switched them around, it would have been way better. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Let me ask you about the re-records that you did for the uh, for the Hopeless stuff. Now, I always wondered why you, I assume Hopeless just won't give the records back to you, won't repress them or whatever. Yeah, they so don't have- give us any money. To this day, they say I owe $3,000 or something off a $6,000 advance I got in 1999 or something. 
So they took all the songs down off YouTube also. So we kind of just did it on a whim, alive in the studio. Um, we didn't want to recreate the albums because, I mean, I love Punk Rock Confidential, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. we're not trying to top it. So we kind of got into that project alive in the studio and, um, you know, kind of just to have stuff that we could sell on tour and um, kind of alternate versions. And, um, you know, I mean, we spent about 10 grand to make, you know, um, Punk Rock Confidential. So we we just did a live in the studio. So that was kind of it, kind of to piss off Hopeless, too. And um, <laughs> and so we did it. I mean, Punk Rock Confidential, I kind of lost interest the last, you know, 15 percent. And so I was just like, we got to move on to something else. So I, I it didn't come out as good as it should have. But that was the whole thing. And we weren't really trying to top the original albums because, you know, whatever. Yeah, hard to top those. Um, totally. I, I just, I just thought it was kind of. I never understood why labels would keep an album from a band like that. You know, like what are they going to do? Repress it and try to make a million bucks on it years down the road? Just doesn't make any sense. Just give it back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like with the Muffs, they. Um, well, hopeless is. I just think they're vindictive. But um, you know, with the Muffs, I think for their first two albums, they uh, three, excuse me. I think their budget was like two hundred and fifty thousand bucks. Um, you know, Apollo came from Green Day and producing them, and so. Um, but now they still owe so much to the label. I believe that they can't get those albums back either, which sucks. You know. Yeah. Because um, I don't know, are any of those things in print? I mean, how cool would it be to get one of the Muffs albums on vinyl, you know? But uh, I, I thought I saw a repress of like Happy Birthday like a couple years ago. Mm. I don't know. Be a cool box set, though, those first three. Yes, yeah, I mean. That would be cool. Kind of like people say, what's your favorite album? I go the first three, you know, Muffs album, the first three Muffs albums. <laughs> yeah, um, it's tough. Kind to... of like the Ramones, oh, any of the first three. That's my favorite Ramones album. Yeah. But <laughs> it was funny, you guys. We went in, um, me, Chrisser, and um, Molly from Lookout, we were down in L.A., and so we went, us three went over and saw the Muffs recording their, I think their second album, at oh, excuse me, Ocean Way in L.A., which is the old Western studios where, like Frank Sinatra, the, they got three studios in there. The third little one is where the Beach Boys did Pet Sounds. The second one, Studio Two, is where the Muffs were. And the, like the big band that did their album there, among others, was the Doors did L.A. Woman there. Wow. And um, the first room you see when you walk in, they got a picture of Frank Sinatra on there singing in that same room. You look through the window, it's like set up for an orchestra, like almost an auditorium. So it's got like a ton of vibe, you know, it's really old. So anyway, I'm going in there and I'm like all uptight because when we record albums, we just, you know, we go in for four or five days and bust ass and get it done. And that was it. <laughs> And we go in there in this huge studio that costs, I don't know how much. And um, and there's Kim and they're all sitting around and they're all happy we showed up. Hey, how you doing? They're eating burritos and let us order you something. I go, oh, you know, whatever. Like, no, no, we got a budget. And they ordered us food and and nothing got done the whole time except they were fucking around with the, the mic on the drum, kick drum or something. And I was just like all uptight because nothing got done. I, my, <laughs> my philosophy was I was hoping I could say, oh, can I sing on a back vocal? Right. And they were miking up the kick drum. And so it was, it was uh, I guess Ronnie told me, he goes, listen, if we come in under budget, it's not like they give us the money. 
So our attitude is why not just use the budget? So, um, but it was pretty cool to be in there and see them. And, uh, you know, what a great, great band. And one of the few bands, the Dickies are like that, too, where I will watch them every single night. The Muffs, I watched them every night, man. It was great. You know, yeah. I mean, Jim never, let's face it, the Muffs never hit it as big as like, you know, all these other bands like Fall Out Boy or whoever. <laughs> Everybody who met Kim, we all loved her and we all knew she was a star. Yes. That was the thing with Kim. It was like like movie star vibe. She was just so cool and so friendly, but yet she was so full of talent that it was real. Everybody just, we all knew she was a star. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I've met the Ramones and all that, but Kim was just something else. But yeah, that time going in there, the studio was classic. That'd be fun. Yeah, dude. So Joe, man, you've played with just about everyone, man, but what was it like playing those gigs with the Ramones? We opened up for them three times. So cool. Yeah. So um, the first time was in 86 at the Agora Ballroom, and it was about 3,000 people. Richie was on drums then. And, uh, oh, my God, we were horrible. Oh, <laughs> God. We, we had never played in front of 4,000 people. We had never played in front of 400. I mean, we, were, we thought 40 was a good crowd. So we get up there, and we don't know what we're doing. And we played every song we knew and some we didn't. When we got into Louie Louie about the second time, they finally <laughs> sent a roadie out to get us off stage and we'd still be playing. And we were horrible. <laughs> Joey told me some good advice that night. He knew we didn't know anything. And he said, listen, when you open up for bands, just go up there and play your best 22 and a half minutes and get off stage. He said, <laughs> the crowd loves it. Um, you know, the club loves it, the sound guys, everything. People there to see the headliners. But if some people will notice you, and if they like you, they'll remember you. But don't play any longer than that. And I always tell that to young bands because we'll get out there and be playing and wherever. 
creepy crawl in St. Louis back in the day, and the <laughs> local band's playing for 53 minutes, and you're like, dude, dude, get right. off stage, 22-minute rule. And like Johnny and Joey, they're, they're both like, let's face it, both most bands only have one or two good songs anyway. What are you going to play longer than 22 minutes for anyway? I never fucking forgot that, man, from that Agora Ballroom show. And then we played in Boston with them at a place called the Metro, and uh, Marky was drumming then, and that was a great show. I don't know what year that was, 87 or something, I think. And then that was fun. And um, and then we played up at the, uh, CJ was in the band, and Marky was drumming. We played at the Hampton Beach Casino, which is where I went to high school, Hampton, New Hampshire. And that um, was about 1,500 people. And that was a really, we, you know, by then we had a name, and... Um, so that was really cool. We, yeah. The last song we played was Deborah Jean, and Joey came up, and he watched our whole set, too, man. It was cool. And uh, he's like, that last song is great. I mean, he was always really supportive of our songs through the years. So um, it was great playing with the Ramones, you know? It was great. Unfortunately, the first couple of times when I was pl we played with them, I was so much in awe of them that I would wonder. I, I kept looking behind me because I couldn't believe I was on the same stage with Johnny's Amps, you know. That type of, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my god, there's Marky's kid. So it was a little bit too much. But the last time we did really good, and fan, you know, there was people there that knew us, and um, so it was a really good show. Yeah, my mom came backstage, and 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 I said, <laughs> oh, mom, here's Joey, because I was talking. Well, she just walked in, and and she goes, I know who Joey Ramone is. There's you know, such Ramones fans, but it was great. Those dudes were always so nice to us. You know, I learned so much from talking to them. They were great. You know, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever look back at your Rocket to Russia record? Do you ever listen to that anymore? No. <laughs> no. You know what? It seems funny now. You know why we recorded that? First off, I thought it was a stupid project anyway, but <laughs> we needed more stuff to sell at the merch table at the time. <laughs> so, so that's why we did it and. We rehearsed it one day in Ben's living room, and then we went in and did it, I think, in two days in some studio. I can't remember where in Chicago. It was more fun hanging out with Ben than really, you know, making an earth-shattering album. I just wasn't into it that much. I don't know. I think it's kind of... You can't top the Ramones album, so I, right. I, just, I just was like, we, if we could have taken it someplace musically, yes, great. But unless it was a song or two, you know, the whole album, we were just, you know, we didn't add anything really to it, I, I didn't think. But, it, you know, people seemed to like it. It was so, cool, man. Know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I heard a story a long time ago. I don't remember even where, if, where I heard it, but didn't, like, Joey send you a tape and it was the first time that you guys had ever heard Slug? It was, like, just yeah. on some cassette? Yeah. Tell us that story, man. Well... What happened was we knew him, our old bass player from back in the day, Kevin Kesey, he was one of these hipster guys that worked at WBC on the big, you know, radio station in Boston. And he would always get backstage at these shows. Like he met the Go-Go's and the Bangles and he slept with one of them. And you know what I mean? And put <laughs> cool. a fuck young cat or cool. something. You know, it was like one of these guys. Anyway, he was our bass player. Couldn't really play, but he, he knew the Ramones. So... <laughs> <laughs> he was um that's how we met them and we get backstage and we got on that gig and so that's where we met him but anyway joey gave me his address and we sent him a tape of of four songs from grow up it was love 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 california goodbye california i don't want to get involved with you and i'll be true to you Jeez. so about three Classics. weeks later yeah. 
um, this is kind of getting away. I'll get back into the slug story. But anyway, about three weeks later, me and this chick with big tits, Tammy, we called her Booberella. Okay. We get backstage <laughs> at the Ramones are playing at University of New Hampshire. So I, I go up there and say I'm I'm uh, Richard Hell's cousin. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are so stupid. They're like, Richard Hell's cousin, of course, come on right in. <laughs> and so I go backstage and Monty yells at him. He goes, that's not Richard Hell's cousin. And Joe is there. And I said, Joey, it's Joe from the Queers. And he goes, oh, Monty, it's fine. And he came right up to me, you guys. I said, I'm Joe from the Queers. And he's like, I got to tell you, goodbye, California, love, love, love. Those are two killer songs. I'd love to record love, love, love. I get goosebumps even now talking <laughs> totally. about it because... I just said I was in the queers and I had sent him a cassette tape. I didn't say, what do you think about this song? Blah, blah. You know, he knew the titles. And he was talking about the vocal phrasing on Goodbye California and all this stuff. And I'm so like cool. going, are you kidding me? Joe Ramon saying this shit about my songs? So, awesome. and, um, so anyway, he told me he wanted to record Love, 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 possibly. And I was like, you know, this is like an acid trip. The Ramones doing one of my songs. But he did like it. And... He sent us a cassette tape of Slug, a song that he wanted to use on End of the Century, but Johnny didn't want to. And Joey had written it, and he liked the song, so he sent us a cassette tape of it. So so there we are, about 1986, I think it was, 87, right around there. We're in our Boston rehearsal studios down there in Dorchester or something, and we're, we're listening to smoking pot and drinking a beer after we're practicing, and we listen to the song. And it was like, at the time, it was amazing because there was no unreleased Ramon songs. Right. So it was great. And we listened to it. And I was like, this is great, man. And that's how we got Slug. We used to play Slug around Boston and say it was by the Ramones. Nobody believed us because there was no unreleased Ramon songs. <laughs> Nobody believed us. They thought we wrote it. <laughs> and, um, but that was the, the funny thing about Now, another funny thing with that cassette tape, we're sitting there listening to it and the cassette tape's still playing. And all of a sudden we hear Joey, it's some cassette tape that he put slug on and it, it was a practice tape that he had. And he's sitting there practicing on a song for a song called I Want to Be Happy, right. which he and Ben finished. And so it's Joey with his one finger acoustic going. All he had was the verse. He's like, I want to be happy. I don't want to be bad. I want to be happy. I don't want to be sad. I want to be happy. I want to be happy so bad. And that's all he had. Okay. And I remembered that thing when he wanted, he asked me to work on songs for a solo album. And then me and Ben finally got around to it. But that was, that's where the I want to be happy came from. The tape that had slug on it back in 1986 or seven. So it was pretty cool. thing. That was yeah. Super cool, dude. Yeah.
Oh man, I love that damn song. And yeah, man, like how many people can say they finished a Joey Ramone song and turn it into this fucking great classic song, you know? Yeah, it's I awesome. mean, the thinking was, it's funny with Ben and I, we'll sit down and I said, oh, let's do that idea, Ben. And we wrote the thing in 22 minutes, I swear to God. It was like the only time it took us to write that was Ben was just writing, literally writing down the lyrics. And um, the best review I ever got was some person came up to me at a show and they're like, oh, my God, you, Ben and and Joey wrote that song. I said, well, we finished his idea. We didn't all sit in the same room. They're like, I knew that was a Joey Ramone song on that part, like, that goes, I want to see you in Canmore Square, yeah, and on the Bowery, too. And I was like, we wrote that. And I go, I called Ben. I go, dude, that was a great review, man. So, um <laughs> That was fun. I wish Joey could. That would have been a great song for a solo album, you know it? Totally. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it was very telling because he called me on the phone and told me that that um, he needed stronger tunes. I mean, this is Joey. You know, he was very down to earth. He goes, you know, people will say it's great, Mr. Punch and all that, but I need stronger material. I only got a couple of strong ones on there. So he was pretty down to earth, you know, as far as his songs and his albums and all that, you know, so. it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, he was a good guy. Right on. All right, Joe, this is our Valentine's Day special, so it would be cool if we uh, maybe focus a little bit on love songs, maybe break it down just a little bit, talk about some of these songs. Sure. The album Love Songs, you mean? Or yeah, 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 the album. Yeah. Like, yeah. when we did I mean, that thing, I was the guy that picked this as my favorite. Move Back Home was number two for me <laughs> it's always been one of my favorites oh, yeah. it's it's it i flip-flop on this shit all the time joe but yeah love songs is definitely the quintessential classic queers album right yeah totally. yeah yeah so yeah. all the songs is not a bad song it goes from you know the goofy to the to the perfect love song um can we just do a track by track with you real quick and you can kind of give us a story uh sure if you want to yeah this is Philip from Teen Idols, and you're listening to the fucking dummy room. Now it's time for the Dummy Room Track by Track Breakdown of Love Songs for the Retarded with Joe Queer. Uh, you're tripping. You're tripping. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, um, a, an anti-white power song, kind of, totally. and um, so that's where that one. I I don't know. Someone said you're tripping. Well, I used to hang out with surfer kids guys, and we would always say you're tripping, dude. You know, smoke pot <laughs> or something. So that's where the title came from. And then it was kind of like an anti. We we hated. There was sort of street punk white power faction in New Hampshire, and um, we always hated their guts. Man, they were losers that listen to Screwdriver and all that crap, boots and places <laughs> and shit. Now, and um, so that was kind of our little thumb, our noses at that crew song. So that's where that one came from. Gotcha. All right. How about Ursula? Ursula finally has tits. 
Ursa was this young girl. She lives in Atlanta now. And um, her mom used to drop her off at the shows and stuff. We did a lot of house shows back then. And um, so she was always saying, write a song for me, write a song for me. <laughs> and so one time we were, of course, sitting around drinking beer, just being wise asses. And someone, I don't know who, said, it was like, Ursula's finally getting tits. And we're like, oh, cool. That's a great song title. <laughs> So I wrote that song the first time I met Screeching Weasel and met Ben Weasel in person. They came and stayed at my house. And um, it, I owned my restaurant then. And we had a New Year's Eve party in my basement. I, I rented a big farmhouse in Northampton, New Hampshire. And and um, I was in bed that morning, kind of hungover, before I had to go to my restaurant and work. And I picked the guitar up. And I wrote some of it right there, Ursula. And then I wrote, anyway, I wrote the song about Ursula. And um, the first time we played it, though, we opened up for No FX at the University of New Hampshire, at that place where um, the Ramones played that time. I was telling you when I saw Joey. Right. And that was the very first time we played it. And... Um, Cool thing, we had a big following on our own back then, and so we didn't really, you know, no effects was walking around with sunglasses in the club and shit, and we're like, yeah, fuck this, this coast shit. So we were like, we had a big following back then in the seacoast area, so we were sitting out drinking beers in the van, and this guy, Gavin, our little buddy, he's like, dude, you've got to go on now. So he's like taking us to go in back, the back entrance, and it was packed in there too, you know, like eight, nine hundred people. And we go, fuck you, we're walking right through. So we come in the front door and we just high five everybody. The whole place erupts. They're like, yes, the queers. And we climb on stage. And the first song was This Place Sucks. Then we did Ursula Finally as Tits. That was the first night we played it. And uh, even Fat Mike told me, he's like, dude, we couldn't believe it. You guys blew us off. And I, we're like, who the fuck are these assholes? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that, that was, anyway, Ursula, that's how that all came out about that that Ursula finally has tits. So it kind of stuck. Everybody kind of liked the title. So yeah, it's great. I think B face told us one of the times that he was on that. You even wrote that baseline and shit too. Who wrote it? That you wrote it. You know, I, I think we did. We used to kind of just sit around and do around and the songs kind of would, would evolve. So, um, yeah, I, I, maybe I did, but, um, <laughs> we wrote that and, we really threw that song together in Noodle Brain, one rehearsal um, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, though. I remember that. It was funny. I said, geez, those are two good songs. We should be this prolific, you know, all the time. Right. Yeah. Cool. But I hate everything. That was an old 80s title I had. Um, I don't know. There wasn't much. That song was kind of like <laughs> just, you know, goofy, Ramonesy type thing you know oftentimes when i write i think about the titles and how they would strike me on the back of the album i envision looking at the song titles like when i looked b-face and i had heard screeching weasel and we saw boogada and we we had heard like i don't know hey suburbia or something but i was looking at the album and they had i hate led zeppelin i go b-face i love this fucking band already and we <laughs> just because of the title and so I'm doing it with a new album, so I kind of looked at, you know, you're tripping and Ursula finally has tits and, and I hate everything and I kind of envisioned them. And so that was, I just like the title, I guess. And it was sort of punky. And um, so that's where that one came from. I just thought it would make, it would be a cool song title to have on the, the album. It would look good, I guess. Yeah, totally. So are you a guy, as far as your songwriting goes, are you a guy that will come up with a title 
and then write the lyrics or do you have the music and then just figure out the lyrics later what's your like what's your deal how do you do it usually we write down we'll be in the van or something and we'll come up someone will say something and we're like oh song title song title so i always write those down and save them cool and then i've got a list here like three pages long with song ideas and um i don't want to tell you the tunes now because it'll be anticlimactic <laughs> but so that's how we do it and then i'll play it and i always like go and come up with a chorus first and i go i'm not going to work on this song unless the chorus is good so i always come up with the chorus first and then kind of back into the song and i was showing ben and he goes yeah ben weasel and he's like yeah now i i kind of like to write like you do but i always see the song title we save the titles and then you know i think it'll look good on the album and then i grab my guitar and then boom i just come up with this chorus and if the chorus is good and the title's good i know we've got them so that's kind of how i write i write backwards and then do the bridge and the verse or something like that cool. and kind of feel it out with the band so i tell you the new album's looking like it's going to shape up to be more like love songs i think um, <laughs> we had a song we never did i'll say one song we're going to do in the new album that we never did because we forgot about it for love songs I don't know, on Beat Off, we needed songs and move back home. We forgot about this song, but we had this song called Shirley Needs a Dildo for love songs, and we never <laughs> did it. And it's a killer love song. It would have been perfect on that album. And so um, we mainly just had the chorus and like a little bridge. So we're going to do that album, that song on this new album. Cool. And the album's kind of in keeping with that sort of irreverent punk stuff there, you know. But I, I think it's going to be a pretty killer album. I really do. I'm stoked to hear it, man. Yeah. It's been a long time since uh, Basement came out, you know? Well, that one really, the recording wasn't very good. I, my The attitude was like, you know, record like we used to. You know, when you go in a studio in the old days, we'd supposedly say we'd have $150 for the engineer guy. And so we'd show up with about 99 because we, 90, because we spent it on beer and Coke and you'd go in and it was like not go through all these like little takes and stuff you would just look at the clock you know you would just start together and stop together there was no click tracks and that's how we recorded everything it was like we are we're only here for three hours so um but the recording the production wasn't good on that and we really needed to flesh those songs out a little bit too so um but the reason I haven't really rushed to make an album is because we've got so many songs now that we can't play right. so um, I, I'm like everybody else. I'd, I'd love to play. When we played with Weasel, we um, I've talked to a lot of fans, and so we did almost a completely different set. I don't have it in front of me. I meant to bring it in, but we started with Steak Bomb and Drop the Attitude, which was pretty ballsy. <laughs> and um, then we did Everything's Okay, Burger King Queen, Sweet. definitely um, High School Psychopath, uh, Surf Goddess, All Screwed Up. Uh, we were doing all sorts of stuff, weird stuff. And... Um, it went over killer. Then we did Mrs. Brown, You've Got an Ugly Daughter, Janelle, Janelle, and Don't Back Down. And then the last four songs were like, fuck the world and shit we normally do. But um, it was cool. like cool because it went over killer. And, and I go, we've got so many songs now that we don't play that it's a shame, really. You know, Janelle, Janelle, and Mrs. Brown went over amazing. So I, it's, I never just, I didn't rush into doing an album because there's just so much stuff that we 
we should play. I enjoy being a boy. Every time I turn around, there's some other song I want to play. But, um, you know, one thing you guys brought up, someone called in or something you said, um, saying, why don't you do a pop set? Or maybe this was some other podcast. <laughs> kind of sounds like us. Is, <laughs> is that we'd have to do a set like we did with Weasel because it gets too um, one dimensional. It's all, everything's like going about 58 miles an hour, you know, and it gets boring if you do daydreaming and I'll be true to you and I don't want to get involved with you and voodoo doll. And they're great songs, yeah. but there's, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not up and down and you can't build it up. So it's frustrating for me because I'd love to, but we'd have to, we'd have to just kind of treat it as not poppy, but just a different set. So, right. Like for special occasions and stuff, but man, I can tell you, I watched that video of you doing the pop set with the moans, like at least three or four times now, man, it's fucking great, dude. I really dig that. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, Danny's little cancer benefit. Yeah, they really studied that. They really went over those songs. I had a ball doing it. It was really fun. It was cool. They're a great band. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. But yeah, I get it. I mean, you can't just do that all the time, you know. You did it kind of at Reduno, didn't you, a couple of years ago? We did just a little because Vapid had um, a passport problem or visa or something, passport, I think, yeah. and um, which wasn't his fault. I mean – so many of us bands have screwed up that way where you can't fly. I don't know if you heard the story. His passport was going right. to expire yeah. within three months and you can't leave the country. It almost happened to me. That's the only reason I know about it. The Coffin Cats, they had to cancel a tour last year because of it. So anyway, we filled in for him and um, and we did a like 10 song pop set. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty it was cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, but it was like 15 minutes. That works. Right. Uh, you go out and do a show with a few hundred kids, you know, it just, it just, it was too kind of slow and plodding. I, I feel like MTX, one of the best bands I, I love, my favorite bands. But yet, the only complaint I ever say against them is they get sometimes, all the songs are so good, you know, but it, it doesn't, it just stays at one speed sometimes, which Frank yeah. will tell you that too. And um, so, uh, you got to be aware of how the set's, you know, going. Right. And, and it'll just get in a rut. And after a while, you're doing it for yourself and, like, two people that want to see you do from your boy or something. <laughs> That's me. You know, we played that one, and it sucks on stage, man. But there's always <laughs> one coop that'll come up and say, I wanted to see from your boy. That was amazing. And, it, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. I do, too. So where do we leave uh, off on this love songs uh, thing? Teenage Bonehead. My folks had me committed just two weeks ago. My best friend ran up with my girl. Those two damn And don't you know it hurts? But hey, she ain't the first. Oh, she ain't the first. I was a teenage bonehead, yes it's true I was a teenage bonehead, it was uh, I was a teenage bonehead just because of you Of you My parents kicked me out of school and so I don't care My girl sent me a postcard saying glad that you're not here Oh, don't you know it hurts But hey, she ain't the first 
from there was some early punk band that had a song i was a teenage fuck up which i think i wish i had written out because i just love that title i don't know who the band was <laughs> but um so we we took it from that and just wrote i was a teenage bonehead and um just i don't know that didn't have much of a story to it it was just something that we started playing and and just ran with there wasn't a lot of thought on a lot of the songs back then we were drinking beer and we practice on Sundays in my restaurant and our friends would come down. I had a little bar restaurant and we were closed on Sunday. So we would all go down there and drink free beer, my draft beer and get drunk and have a little party in there. And um, <laughs> that's where a lot of these songs came from. I love it, man. Uh, fuck the world. Fuck the world. That was my story. I kind of was getting off a, on a tangent there with Weasel. When Weasel came over to my house, um, I had some roommates, punk roommates, and there was this, my cook Dawn lived with me with his girlfriend, Amy. She lives in LA now. Anyway, we're up there drinking beer and she's really cute. She's a beautiful girl, a good friend of mine too. And um, to this day, and anyway, B-Face went in the other, we were in the kitchen talking to Amy and then we went in the other room for whatever reason. And, um, and he goes, dude, Amy saw me looking at her tits. God damn it, dude. <laughs> And so I wrote this song, Amy Saw Me Looking at Her Tits Today. And it was like, Amy saw me looking at her tits today. And now her little boyfriend wants to punch my face. I don't think I'm crazy for doing like I do. I don't think I'm crazy, do you? And then Ben, we sent, I showed that to Ben. And then I had a song called Fuck the World. And it was... Just AD, it was like, fuck the world, I'm hanging out with you tonight. Fuck the world, I'm hanging out with you tonight. Fuck the world, I'm hanging out with you tonight. So Ben took both of those and he put it together and wrote the guitar lead. So that's how that came about right there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's one of the classics of all time right there. I yeah, do prefer yeah. this so version. Play it. I love that song. The Amy version's on one. I think it's on one of those Weasel Manias or something, and uh, it's not as good. Yeah, but he called it. Yeah. Amy saw me looking at her boobs, and I was like, yeah. "Dude, it sounds too stupid." Yeah, it's boobs doesn't like, sound as close as tits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can't stop farting. That was a, a 
True story. What, but some, again, <laughs> partying on a weekend. And then when we first met Ben, we sent him that song and he wrote the lyrics for it. We, we just loved Screeching Weasel. B-Face was washing dishes at my restaurant and Hugh would work there too. And so we were really into it. We were having a lot of fun with the band in those early days. And um, we sent the song to Ben. And so he wrote the lyrics and we were all excited because Ben Weasel wrote the lyrics for it. So, <laughs> you know, again, not a lot of thought into it, but we were so excited that he wrote those lyrics, you know. Yeah. That uh, that explains, uh, I was going to ask you about the 27 Ducks thing and that, because that preempted all the Riverdale stuff. And, the 27 uh, thing, you mean? It, well, you said in, in the song, you say 27 Ducks. Yeah. And it was just ironic that it was before all that, you know, the Riverdale's 27 shit came out. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I asked Ben about that once. I go, what is up with the 27? He goes, I don't know. It's just a cool number. I just want to, you know, see if people will follow me or something. And, uh, okay, I thought there was like some, you know, other meaning to it or something, you know, but it wasn't much apparently. All right. Uh, feeling groovy. Feeling Groovy was an old song we had from the late 80s that we played with uh, at the Rat in Boston. Um, so, I don't know, we just kept it. We kind of liked it. We had all these songs that went on love songs um, that we had been playing. So it was kind of cool to get on Lookout Records because it was the same type of stuff we were always playing. So that one... Um, I, don't, I, I remember writing it in Exeter, New Hampshire, but it was just you know, hung over and, you know, living, being a punk rocker, kind of like, and not caring about paying the rent and not caring about your girlfriend and not caring about anything, but just living to go to Ramon shows and, you know, that type of attitude. So that's where that one came from. That's awesome. Uh, one of the great ones now, Deborah Jean. One thing I know is true, I need a little girl like you, so I can stop hanging around. So I can stop making that damn trip, you know, it's starting to yell. If you know what I mean, you can scream and chat and it'll be fine. Keep me in bed all day and blow my mind. You can hold me tight and ride on my brain. You can kiss me and drive me insane. Give me funny little shivers up and down my spine. When we kiss
Thing to record this on. I used to keep a little cassette recorder in my car, and so I had to like have that thing in the chorus in my head for about a day and a half because it was like either go home and record it, and not get laid, or go to her house. <laughs> but I was like, I don't want to lose this thing, and so yeah, that's. I just thought the uh, Beach Boys had a song Pamela Jean, and so I, I was like, oh, I want to have a you know that's cool and. So I came up with Deborah Jean. It wasn't about anybody in particular. Gotcha. Man, that's got one of my favorite guitar solos of all time on that song. I love what you did yeah. on that. It's just so yeah, damn classic. Yeah, that was the whole thing. We used to joke about it. It was like uh, the meanest solo this side of Soldier Boy. I don't know. You know that old song, <laughs> Soldier Boy? The, yeah. the, the solo is like infantile, and so we're like, oh, yeah, the best solo since Soldier Boy. Yeah. But, I mean, it's so simplistic, but so fucking perfect for that song, you know? Well, that's kind of like when we did Born to Do Dishes was the same thing. We kind of did it spur of the moment. And I love that bum, 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 bum. You know, it's nothing special, but it fits and it yeah, works. It's perfect. So, yeah. You've always been able to just, like, to me, you're, like, oh, has always been one of, like, the greatest songwriters because you put these perfect little bits in there. It's like ear candy all over every record, you know? It's fucking great. Well, one thing I'll tell you, one thing I never forgot from when Joey told me, like, California, Goodbye California and stuff, he talked about the vocal phrasing. And um, it was, like, something I never really thought of till he he mentioned it, and he was singing a couple of the songs, and how he tries to almost be percussive in his vocals and all that stuff. And yeah. so ever since then, I kind of thought of it. And um, I grew up with all AM radio, all great songs on the radio, and I played trumpet in the band for 12 years. So it gave me a real good opportunity. I really love the poppy stuff. Turtles and Stones and... Right. Del Shannon, Little Tom Flirt, and all that. And so I grew up with all that stuff and playing the trumpet. So it always gives me, you know, I come up with ideas in the chorus and back vocals and stuff. So, um, but that's where I got a lot of it from growing up with those, you know, every, the monkeys, Daydream Believer, and, and that's what I grew up with, Beach Boys. And um, so it was, it was really cool. And I've always kept that in me that so, um, and try to always have like a hook, you know, so yeah. 
um, that's why I write. I know if we have a good chorus because I don't want to write a verse and then a bridge and then I don't have a good chorus. So um, yeah. anyway, it, it comes pretty easy on that stuff. But you're right. It's like less is more. And sometimes like just the simplest little things like that solo um, or some back vocals or something like that makes the song. So it, it's funny, but it, it's hard to come up with something new with a simplistic format that is pop punk, really the same three or four chords. But that's where the challenge lies. Yeah. I think you're one of the guys that has been able to do it consistently for years, though, man. You know? Yeah. Uh, hi, Mom. It's me. I can't remember what. I, I think that came up with one time. B-Face was living in his mom's like garage. Extra spare room was his bedroom back in the early days. And somehow one of us said hi mom it's me we were joking about coming home late or something or we're dropping him off and i go just run into the room and say hi mom it's me it was something like that again it was one of those i hate everything teenage bonehead one of those drinking i'm a punk rocker and i love it songs so that's where that came from not a lot of thought but we used to love playing it it's a great one yeah one of the greatest like intros of all time you know (laughs) i love that (laughs) Well, we love Boogie to wear on, um, hey, you get back here. So we wanted to have something <laughs> along. That's cool. Yeah. So we kind of already touched on Noodle Brain. Should we skip that one or should we, you got anything else on Noodle Brain? Noodle Brain, the only thing I remember was working at my restaurant and I came up with that chorus working at Joe's place at my restaurant. And I remember it was at night and I came up with it. And I told B-Face, oh, dude, I got this this idea for a song, Noodle Brain. And I, like I, I say, I have to keep it in my head for hours till I could get in front of a guitar, get home. So that's where that one came from. And then we finished it in the same day as Ursula, the rehearsal spot. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of, not a lot of, I don't know. There wasn't, uh, that one's not too memorable as far as where it came from, to be honest. Right on. All right. I can't stand you. That's by uh, Ronnie from the Parasites, an old Parasite yep. song, and we really loved. We just loved it. It was kind of like same thing with another girl on uh, by the catalogs on Don't Back Down. It was just a song we loved so much. We were like we play it live, and so we did it. So yeah. Hey, I heard uh, Dave told me once that you almost did a tour with them, huh? You almost played guitar with the Parasites. Yeah, it was funny. I lined up JJ from the Nobodies to go on bass, so I was going to play guitar, and so I was all set to go. And Molly called me from Lookout, and she goes, I heard a rumor that you're going on guitar with the Parasites. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go out with them. She goes, "I, we were talking, Larry and Chris and I, and we don't think it's a good idea. And I was like, really? Why? And they're like, well... I don't know. He's Dave's kind of got a, you know, he's a, an acquired taste. They didn't want to say anything bad about him, but I didn't go because Lookout didn't want me to go. And um, so that's what happened. But yeah, I was going to go. And so I felt so bad because JJ shows up at the first show or something like that. He had learned the songs and goes, where's Joe? And Joe's not going. So I really threw him under the bus. <laughs> and I felt so bad about that. But um you know, he ended up not liking it a lot, a lot at all. And and Dave's Dave's uh, you know eccentric character. I love the guy, but he's a handful. I hear when they go on tour. I know a lot of guys have, have played with him, and um, 
So anyway, JJ, I don't think he enjoyed it too much, but um, anyway, that's why I didn't go. Kind of sorry. I did feel bad about that, man. When JJ, <laughs> you know, he went and I didn't. Yeah. All right. It would have been a cool tour, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, Night of the Livid Queers. being we really sing it usually night of the living queers but um which would have been a better title but we just wanted to be wise asses so we wrote livid so it kind of stuck i I really wish we had called it night of the living queers but um i don't know where that one we just thought it was a cool title night of the living queers is where it came from yeah and then sort of evolved we'd play part of it at rehearsal and come in the next week and that's kind of threw it together and I, you know, not really memorable as far as like, you know, I got run over by a car that day and I ran and grabbed a guitar and I wrote Night of the Living Queers. It was nothing <laughs> real memorable. Uh, I love the line where B-Face better clean all the puke up off the floor. That's fucking great. B-Face better clean all of the puke up off the floor. <laughs> ben wrote that. He wrote some of those. Uh, That's hilarious. He wrote some of those lyrics. Yeah. AJ, he was a buddy of mine. We had a band. We did one rehearsal. It was me on guitar, AJ. No, I was on drums, excuse me. I was the drummer. John Rio from Street Dogs was on bass. Uh, AJ was on guitar. And AJ had the worst case of acne I ever saw in my life. So we called the band Total Acne. 
<laughs> AJ hangs a round with total acne on his face. Yeah, me and <laughs> we had a <laughs> we we had a fun. Weasel came out and played with the Bruisers. Bruisers opened up and then Screeching Weasel and the Queers at my house party in 1990 to 91 New Year's Eve. I mean, I'm telling you, we had a ball back then. We always we'd have a ball. We flew out the first time and went out there and played McGregor's and Elmhurst with Weasel. Oh God, you guys. We loved every song, so they. I just jumped on stage and sang all the back vocals with a vapid. It was one of the funnest nights drinking beer, and oh man, back then we had a lot of fun. But uh, that's where a lot of these songs came from, just being punk rockers and just you know goofy stuff, really. This is like the shit that I totally identified it when this shit was new. That was my like my whole life. You know what I mean? You just had a way of writing it all down, and it's exactly how me and all my buddies were, you know? Well, that's how, uh, too, the Ramones were, I was so astounded when they were putting the albums out, and it was how my our life was. I don't care, now I want to stiff some glue, beat on the breath. You know, it was like, we could relate to it so much. I told Joey that line where he writes, um, do you remember lying in bed with the covers pulled above your head? Well, I do. I had my AM radio from my paper room. And I thought I was the only one that did that. And I would fall asleep with, you know, it was all mono. I'd have one little ear plug in and I'd listen on the radio at night. And um, so uh, anyway, um, I got sidetracked. I couldn't re- can't remember what we're talking about. But, uh, <laughs> You're talking about relating to the Ramones? Oh, yeah, I related to them so much, but also a big influence on us. We started a band about the time TV uh, TV Party by Black Flag came out. Mm-hmm. That was like us. We had graduated from high school a few years before. We're still wearing the same clothes. We're sitting around watching Family Feud on TV and drinking butt out of the can. That was us, the cover of the TV Party 7-inch. So that stuff really made it struck a chord, and that's why we were trying to write songs like that that all of us could relate to. Yeah you succeeded man and it's like timeless you know what i mean like kids today probably feel the same way you know yeah it really means something these people come up and they're like i hear it all the time dude move back home got me through school man if it wasn't for move back home or fill in the blanks love songs um this one story that's really cool this girl came up to us at a show years ago and she said she was in a fire with her family and they were trapped in their house. They were in California and they couldn't get out. And they thought the house was going to burn up. Nobody, they couldn't get helicopters in there. They thought they were goners. And she said, I was so scared. And all I did was I sat in my room and I listened to love songs over and over and over. And she started like crying. She said, if it wasn't for you guys, you guys were the only thing that got me through. And it really, uh, my God, it really struck me. And she said, I was so scared, but I listened to love songs. And you guys got me through and hugged us. And I was like, oh, man, dude, that's so cool. What a story. You know, she said, we thought, I thought I was going to die. And I'm only like 15. Oh, my God. So, you know, I relate. The Ramones albums got me through, too, you know. So (laughs) I understand. Yeah. All right. uh, Granola Head anti-hippie song yeah we <laughs> we were working at joe's place B and B face and hugh would come up from boston and work that was the crew i had one i had one question on my application people kids would come in and ask for a job 
And I had one question on the job application. It was like, do you like the Ramones? If they answered yes, I would hire them. <laughs> it's classic. But Granola Head, there was this kid, and I think his name was Doug, and he followed the Grateful Dead. Exeter, New Hampshire has got Phillips Exeter Academy, and there's a lot of yuppie hippies around there. And he was there. His parents, I think, taught over at Phillips Exeter, and so he he would always come in. And I remember he came in, and I was cooking, and Beefface was there, and he comes in stoned. He was down in the bar, and he walked up with his beer, and he's like, "Hey man, did you hear the news?" And I was like, "No." He goes, "Jerry died today." I go, "Oh, dude, no." He goes, "Yeah, dude. Like, like, what's going on, dude? Like, like, seriously, Joe, what is going on?" And he kept saying, "What's going on?" Because he was so stoned. And that's where we came up with granola head shit. Like, oh, dude, I do not. Well, I'm a loser, but I don't want to be like him, Doug the dishwasher. And so that's where it came from. The what is going on with the day Jerry died? That's great. <laughs> funny thing. So, you ever hear the uh, the isotopes kind of nodded to that one? Yeah. On a song on their one of their albums, Situation No No. Situation No No, yeah. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, it's basically the same thing. What is going on? What is going on? What is going on? Situation No No. I got it down with the place to be. I'm tripping out of fucking LSD. Isotopes, they're the band from Victoria, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're great guys. Yeah, I, I used to see them around. We just don't get over there as much these days, but um, they were a good band. Great band. Yeah, I remember really liking them. I always see, there was a lot of bands out there. I used to always tell the guys, you know, we're lucky because there was a lot of bands that really, we were in the right place at the right time, and there was a lot of bands kind of like the Isotopes and Weston and um that really could have made it but they just they were living in a different town or something you know maybe if they had been in a different city Chicago or something and could get some yeah some publicity and get out and play some big shows they would have been big really yeah uh, do you remember the band Weston you guys know Weston right yeah sure
I really yep. thought they were going to be the next Green Day. So the Isotopes, I really thought was a band that could have done something if they were in the right place at the right time, for sure. They had a really good good gig going, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, they got banned from the United States for a while, so. Ugh, dude, that sucks. Yeah, I guess I heard <laughs> something about that, but, man. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, we keep going. We got three left. I won't be. That was something I doodled with. That was a song title that Didi Ramone had. Huh. And he said, "Oh, I was working on a song called I Won't Be for our next album," and he never did it. And so I was like, "Oh, dude, I'm gonna steal that title." And so it <laughs> kind of came. I wrote it myself, and we sort of did it. But it was always kind of a fun one to play. You know, it, it starts in E, and so we could end a song in E, and I right. could go into it without it being in the set list, so we would just play it off the cuff. And um, that's where it came from, but I don't know. It doesn't, no real big meaning. Yeah, I love that song still. All right, so All what right, about next. Monster Zero, and what do you think about Kevin using that as a title for this awesome label? Oh, um, you know, that's cool, I guess. Um Monster Zero was just a cool title. Yeah, it is. It is. That's what I where that one came out of, and it evolved from the late '80s into what it became. And and I just thought it was a cool title, <laughs> and so we kind of worked into it backwards. We sort of had the chorus type thing, and just drunk, and hey, we got a different part. So not a lot of thought into it, but it was a cool title. Yeah, a lot of lyrics on that song compared yeah. to some of the other ones. It's pretty cool. That one goes over killer on um, on tour. You know, it's funny. That was another song we played at the House of Blues was Feeling Groovy. And we hadn't played that one into Dog's Age. And man, anything off Love Songs, everybody was singing along with it. I couldn't believe it. Like, we can do I Can't Stand You, any of that stuff off Love Songs um, oh, yeah. that people know. So it, it's uh, it's fun. But Monster Zero, that was a that's that's a killer song. I'm yeah. really we could encore with that one. Totally. That's that's an awesome song if I do say so. I love playing that one. Plus those drums are badass at the oh, beginning. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Great drummer. Great drummer. Oh, yeah. Killer that guy. He was my age, so we grew up in rock and roll and we, we had to record the tape. We weren't pro the Pro Tools generation, so we had to play. You had to you had to be good to play on tape. Yeah. So yeah. That's how we grew up. So um, he was a rock solid drummer. Um, yet we went on tour with the Muffs, and he learned a lot from watching Roy from the Muffs. Um, Roy's a different drummer, but he's kind of flamboyant and stuff. So Hubie yeah. learned a lot <laughs> from him. Um, so I, I think one of the things I tell young kids, they're like, "Oh, you got any advice?" I'm like, "Not really," but I will tell you one thing that Dusty Watson told me and we me and Hugh are always like that and B faces like always be teachable. So many times we'll meet young kids and they come up and they don't ask what we're doing. Like I did with the Ramones. I sucked. I'd ask questions at the rat with these bands on there. That's how we learned. When we went on tour, we'd ask bands, we'd watch how they toured, how they feel you know, what they used did they haul a trailer, how they packed their van. That's how we learned. We always asked and I tell these kids be teachable. You know, be teachable, ask questions. And um, a lot of drummers, 
if they're not moving forward, they, they learn the drums and they think the only reason they're not in Metallica, they think they're as good as everybody else. And the only reason <laughs> they're not in Metallica is because they don't know Metallica. And that guy's just luckier than they are. <laughs> but if you have that attitude, you never go past a certain level. Yeah. And so Hubie would, would, we always tried to get better. Uh, and he was always had that attitude, but he learned a lot from Roy Flam, flamboyance uh, the Muffs were such a killer band, so um, oh, yeah. he went, But he was rock solid. I mean, one night he was in a blackout drunk, and we're playing <laughs> in Minneapolis at First Avenue, Seventh uh, Street entry. It was place is sold out, and he's shit faced drunk, and he would not stop playing. He started "I Want Cunt," and he he wouldn't stop playing it like we do <laughs> one song, and then he'd play. He'd go into "I Want Cunt." We played it about thirteen times, and. Um, <laughs> We turned around and he's just shaking his head no, and he's playing that thing. So we'd have to play "I Want Cup." But the funny thing was, he was still rock solid on the beat. So <laughs> he was really a good drummer. Hugh, uh, we were playing at the Knitting Factory in L.A., and some drunk kid came up to me and he goes, "Dude, I know you hate my band, but is that Hugh's drum kit?" And it was. We we had it for a while. His old drum kit is Ludwig, and the kid goes, "Oh my God." And he goes, I'm in this band. I know you hate us. And I think it was Taking Back Sunday. It was one of those kind of mid-level bands that suck. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Agreed. I mean, and, Agreed. Uh, but he came up. But Hugh was such an influence on him that it was really cool of him to say that. But, but people looked up to Hugh. He was a really, really good drummer. Right. And... Um, uh, so, you know, I, I missed, it was been hard to find a drummer to keep a, a, as good as him, to be honest. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. Yeah. He was unique for sure. He would do things that weren't just like straight Marky Ramone or Tommy, you know, he had a lot of right. cool Tom fills. Right. Right. He came up with like the beginning of like, say, uh, Monster Zero, he did the drums on that and he came up with that and he came up with the beginning we needed something for Punk Rock Girls and we went through it and he came up with that and yeah, he was real creative and, and he really was a, a great drummer I, I, I miss him, really he was, he was so rock solid, that's what I miss I think Alex is pretty fucking solid though, dude <laughs> yeah. Lock, lock, not yeah, to take anything great. away from Hugh he oh, was lock, like lock so awesome he's, but yeah it's yeah, fun to watch and he's so into it and um so he's been really good we've got a killer lineup now man we've yeah. got cheeto on bass he's a local guy he's playing bass and then ginger the long-haired guy we adopted him somehow we met him and so he grabs the guitar halfway through and i just sing and we've really been able to bring the level the energy build it up build it up and build it up the set we played Rebellion two years ago, and we, dude, we were the best band there. We slammed it. We killed Rebellion. We came out of nowhere. They were waiting for the Buzzcocks and Vandals, and we killed them all. Um, the main thing being, all these guys are my age, but they get up there, and they talk for friggin' six minutes in between songs, and it sucks. Totally. So, um, you know, we get up and just do our bang, bang, bang thing. So yeah. well, we got a good lineup now. We have taken it up. We are way above where we were with Lurch and Dave. Way above. I think so, and, too, man. Um, so I'm really proud of the band. And yeah. um, we're always trying to get better and be teachable and talk to the Dickies and see how they do stuff rather than telling them how smart we are. We listen to what they're doing, and that's how you learn. So, uh, 
right on. Yeah. Hey, how how was that? Uh, you you did the little tour with uh, Marky and Phil. You guys were Marky's band, right? You and Phil. Uh, Dangerous Dave did that tour. Yeah, um, yeah. Off and on, we played it with for about a year, where we would open up in Europe, and then me and Dave jumped up with him. Philip played a few gigs with him on base, with us on bass too. It was pretty good. Um, it was. It was um, behind the scenes was really a nightmare. It was too many roadies. My roadie was stealing my guitar picks, and oh god, I. I'm working on a book and it's centered around that tour and it was just major stuff happening, whacked out all the time. One story was we had our manager in our bus and then David, the main manager went with Marky and Mary and his wife. And so anyway, Marky did a show at this Gijon festival, summer festival in Spain where there's like 10 or 15,000 people walking around till like 4 a.m. So, he played the first night and the second night we played a smaller little side stage. We're still packed like a thousand people. Anyway, we're loading our gear out after the show and the guy paid us for Marky's set, same promoter paid us for Marky's show and for the queers. And he had 8,000 8, euros in an envelope. So we're loading out and some married couple comes up to me. They're like, Joe, Joe, hey, we find this envelope on the ground that says Marky Ramon slash queers. And so we, we thought, we, you guys, it was like winning the lottery. Like There was thousands of people walking around shit-faced. You're in Spain where they'd steal the fillings out of your teeth if they could. And, oh, uh, <laughs> and these guys, this honest husband and wife came up and handed me the envelope with 8,000 euros cash. I mean, the guy, wow. the promoter, our, our little manager, quote-unquote, D-Doc, was doing coke and drinking, and he put the money in his back pocket and lost it. So Jeez. the whole tour, every day was something major like that. They they had all of Marky's. The second gig was in Bolsano, Italy. So Marky comes over to Europe with like a hundred drumsticks, Marky Ramon drumsticks that he's going to sell at the show and for the merch. So like idiots, they bring the whole bag, all hundred of the sticks into the show, Bolsano. And, and of course, you know where it's going. They lose one, they lose all, they lost every last one of them gets stolen. <laughs> they left at the arena where we were. And it just Jeez. went on and on and on. But playing with Marky was real. Oh, always exciting. Cause he's such a good drummer. Um, I've played with Marky and Richie, and um, they're like in a different league. Those guys, really, really great drummers, and can do way more than just the little Tommy Ramone beat. Yeah. Though, though yeah. they're famous for that, but they are both very, very good drummers. I played with Dusty Watson too, yeah. um, who's with the Sonics now, but he was with Dick Dale for years. And yeah, so right. I, I played with some really good drummers. So I was lucky that I did that. But the Marquee Tour was kind of a, a lot of, they have so many rabid fans though, that in Italy I would get shit from some people because they were mad at me for playing with Marquee. They didn't like Marquee. And um, <laughs> it's, I, I understand, you know, people just love the band so much. They're like, oh, they thought he was disrespecting it or something. I don't know. This was in Italy and Spain. These guys just love the band so much. But but uh, it, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I like Mark. He was a good guy. So uh, you're writing a book. I was going to ask you about that. You got to have, you know, so many crazy stories. Yeah, 
to me, I, I always like books where the people are fucked up. You know what I mean? I don't, the, the guys who pay their you know ska bands that they all look like accountants and they make their car payments on time and they have good credit. I, I don't care about people. I don't think there's any lessons there, but I always like books where the people are fuck ups. They're hanging ten with life itself. You, you literally. I used to do drugs and all that, and um, Keith Richards and Johnny Winters and all these people. And so I, the book's kind of like that. But yeah, I've got a million stories and. Um, it's centered kind of around the tour with Marky and then I just go to the next chapter and I'm kind of telling how the band started. Yeah, I mean, it's, I like to laugh. And so the queers, we have had so many laughs, me, Tulo and Wimpy and me, B-Face and Hugh and, and, um, Dangerous Dave and Lurch. And so I just like to laugh and we have had so many laughs and we have a blast now. So I've really been blessed because when I was in high school, I wanted to be in a band and tour around the world and, and so, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And and so it's still, I, I've had a lot of laughs, but I've got a million stories. So I'm, I'm hoping I finish that in the next year or so. We've done five years in a row where we've done over 100, 120 shows a year. So that's a show every day. So it's like, uh, it's, it's crazy. So yeah. um, it's hard to get anything else done when you tour like that. How many, do you know how many shows you've played? No. It's kind of no, way up I, there. I never, Thousands. yeah, I never kept track of it because I was just, it was like our first seven inch, the We'd Have Arrived doing heroin seven inch, that goes for like $5,000 yeah. on eBay or something. <laughs> and and I never saved it. People would say, oh, I'd love to have one and I'd have a copy. And I'm like, oh, here you go, or I'll mail it to them because it, it brought me more joy to give it to people than to hold on to it and say, oh, the thing's worth 5000 or whatever. Right. So I never thought that anything would be worth money and if someone else wanted it i gave all my vinyl away to fans and stuff so um yeah it's funny that we're still playing and and um you know the the stuff is worth so much money and yeah. anyway you got a yeah, whole legacy behind you man it's so cool well, thanks to you guys, we, we were lucky we're on lookout that we're able to play to this day. Yeah. And um, I know some of the ex-band guys, I won't go name names, but I think it's really lame to put down lookout because if it wasn't for lookout, we'd all be flipping burgers. Right. <laughs> and oh, yeah, uh, lookout was super important. In Will Met or something. And so it, it was sad how lookout ended up but because of them i'm still able to play so i have nothing but fond memories um um you know you, you talk about you know the former members like who's the funnest guy on tour of all the old members b face or you know dave <laughs> well I mean, was there was there anyone that you were most worried about because they were just too crazy <laughs> Hugh would get crazy yeah that <laughs> i was worried about yeah he would you know, we'd be over in Europe and then he'd be off with some girl or something. This was before cell phones and the Internet. So you would have to go back to the club and wait there till the guy showed up. So um, that was I, as far as favorite. I, you know, I miss B-Face. I really I, I wish he had been there for some of the stuff we did. I mean, it wouldn't have worked without Hugh because he was the only one keeping us together. But I, I miss him. We were really, really tight for a while. But I miss yeah. Wimpy and Tulu also. Um, 
and then Dangerous Dave. I'm, I'm still in touch with those guys, though, so it's not like I really lurch. I talk to him and text. and But they've all, everybody now, Hoglog, Alex, and, and Cheeto, it's hard to pick out someone. Everybody brings something to the table, and we, yeah. we have a lot of laughs, man. We have a lot of laughs. We always have. So it's hard to pick out one person, really. Yeah. So what do you think of um, what do you think of the songs that have been written about you by you know your friends like Cletus wrote a song and the Nobodies the Riptides. You got a favorite of those ones? No, I don't really listen to them too much. <laughs> Darlington did one too, yep. which I thought was pretty funny. Chris, he's a good songwriter. Um, I don't. <laughs> Oh, there's a bunch of bands in Europe that have written songs about me too. Believe it or not, little bands you don't never hear of. So that's yeah, kind of yeah. flattering, you know. I, I mean, I don't know as I'd, I've heard all, to be honest. So I don't know what's good and what's bad. So on the other side of that, what's your favorite song that you've written about, like Ben or the Vapid songs, or you know, you got a favorite of those that you've written? Um. Yeah, I like the Ben Ben Weasel. I thought was good. Vapid. He we surprised him with that, but he didn't act like he was too excited about it. But I thought that was a good song, Danny Vapid. Yeah, I like that one too. Um, oh, I I liked it. He used to wear this little Green Day cap that looked horrible, but he stuck with it. We're like Vapid's hanging in there with a the Green Day cap. But um, I like that one. Molly Newman, I think, is a song we could play live. We never do, but I like that song a lot. She got a big kick out of that. Yeah. Um, I guess that's about the three there that we've said, about, you know, sang about other people in the scene. I don't have a favorite. I think they're all pretty good, though, really. Hey, I also heard a rumor that Surf Goddess was about Kim. Is that true? No. Okay. No. So no, we can dispel that myth. Like that. Yeah, no. The from your boy was like from your girl. Right. Kind of a play on that, yeah. I was going to talk to Lisa Marr. Um, I'm going to ask her she's to write some lyrics for a couple of the popular slow songs on the album. And I was thinking I've got one. And I was thinking maybe we could make that sort of excuse me about Kim. So, but right now, no. Um, we were going to do an album. Speaking of Kim, we were going to do an album with when joey was leaving the ramones we were going to do a four song ep with joey singing with us he was gonna it was gonna be oh, joey man. ramone with rears backing him up and um andy paley was gonna produce it andy paley was like brian wilson's best friend and they worked together in the studio and the paley brothers from the rock and roll high school soundtrack they did let's go
Dude, I've always loved that version. That's the shit. Yeah. And uh, I called Kim and I go, Kim, Kim, I'm gonna, we're gonna do this project with Joey's gonna sing four songs, and um, let's. I had told Joey, I said, listen, let's do an in my room Beach Boys type song with me, you, and Kim. And Joey loved that. He goes, perfect, man. Everybody's going to think I'm, we're coming out with Beat and the Brat and we're going to come out of left field with something poppy like that. And he said, the one thing with the Ramones I always always wanted to do was have those Beach Boys vocals and never did it. That's why I like the Queers Don't Back Down and stuff and Deborah yeah. Jean and like that. But yeah. um, I called up Kim and I said, Kim, Joey's going to sing this thing with us. Let's write a song. And, and she's like, I'll never forget. She goes, I don't know if I can write in Joey's key is the only thing. <laughs> but Kim was her own person. You know, she didn't need anybody to write her song. They were so personal, really. You really thought the Muff songs really come from the heart from Kim. Yeah. yeah. And so she wasn't the type of person to write with anybody. Um, Lisa Marr, she's, we've written some really cool, cool things. But um, I, I was thinking we should write a song about Kim and um and 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 you know have the lyrics sort of um be focused on kim so anyway i'm hoping that'll happen matter of fact as i'm looking right here in my studio i've got a picture the last show of tour with the queers cub and 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 the muffs we're at tt the bears in boston i'm sitting right next to between kim and b face there's a hot seat right there. Lisa Mar. Nico Case was the drummer for Cobb. Roy. Oh, God, what a magical time, man. That was great. Funny I got that picture here, huh? That's super cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Did we finish out love songs, Nate? Or was, did we have one of those left? Uh, we left Daydreaming did, up. We, oh, yeah. did, we didn't do Daydreaming. Oh, man, that's my favorite, dude. That song is fucking perfect. <laughs> Thank you. 
Kara, she was one of these punkette chicks, blonde, and she's pretty hot. And so, you know, I was a little dick guy, you know, and it just, I always thought she was out of my league. And so she was always picking on me and like, you'll never write a song as good as the Ramones. And so I wrote that song Daydream and right there, I was like, I can write a song as good as the fucking Ramones. And, and I wrote Daydream and up in my parents' back bedroom, I remember vividly writing that song and it was for Kara. She was one of these chicks where like we'd go to the Rat in Boston and I'd be on stage playing and I stopped looking at her after a while because like she was either making out with a guy, making out with a girl or or fucking fighting a bouncer. It was like one of these chicks, you know, <laughs> and I just finally stopped looking. But anyway, that was where the song from she came from. She was like, oh, you can't write a song as good as them and I wrote Daydreaming um, from that. Wow. So, it's yeah. a great one. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Larry always said he heard Deborah Jean and Daydream and demos of those. And he said, because of the strength of those two songs, that's why I wanted to do an album with you guys. That's what he told me. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. I love how like Hugh accents these those symbols kind of like on the snare on that song. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's another song that'll go over really well. Oh, dude, people might be crying. You should do it. Well, <laughs> the thing is, you can't... Songs like that... You know another song you can't put in the set is Mirage. If you Ugh. put it in the set, it'll die nine times out of ten. But that one magical moment, I'll turn around and give Hoglog the wink and, and Mouth Mirage, and we go into it, and it's like, oh, man, you get goosebumps. Hell yeah. Daydreaming's kind of like that where you got to go in, choose the right spot, feed off the crowd, and then let them choose where the set's going. Yeah. And um, But I, I like that song a lot. Yeah, that Me one too. came out pretty good. Love it. My mom actually loved that song. I would always try to, like, turn her on to certain bands because she wasn't really into my kind of music, you know, but she yeah. did grow up on those 60s AM radio singles yeah. bands, you know, and 
I think that she kind of heard that influence in your songs because out of all my favorite bands, the queers were the only mm-hmm. ones that she kind of liked a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It was kind of cool. My mom was kind of into the queers while she was still alive. Oh, that's cool. You know, I, that stuff I grew up with, that poppy stuff. Yeah, so um, I, I think one thing I always see with some pop punk bands, you guys know, where you'll watch them and they're energetic and all that stuff, but they, you can't remember any of the songs. And Joey kind of told me that. He goes, you got to have songs that are memorable. I want to be sedated, beat on the brat. And you remember those songs. And so I always remember that. And Deborah Jean and Daydreamer, they got their own personality. And people will come out of a queer show, even in the early days, and they're like, I like This Place Sucks. I like Monster Zero. I like Granola Head. Deborah Jean, in the early days, I don't want to get involved with you. Goodbye, California. People remember the songs. And so I always try to keep those good choruses. You know, songs that people will remember, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I think sometimes pop punk just it gets a little too pedestrian in places and all the bands got a few good songs, but sometimes they all run into you you can't remember anything. So, um, I mean, hey, do you guys like the addicts? I don't like the addicts, man. Yeah, I went, my, my friend's band, The Antagonizers, a band I record here in my studio, they're actually playing, they did three shows with them, and I went down the other night with Cheeto, and we watched them uh, open up for The Addicts, and um, I was just curious, you know, it was one of those bands I never got into much, they do, they have rabid fans. Yeah, they just played mm-hmm. here a couple nights ago, and people were going ape shit, and I'm yeah. like, no, I'm not going to see The Addicts. <laughs> it seems yeah. like I made it through about half the set. And um, it seems like this. All the songs are like about four minutes long. It, but I didn't. I didn't really think anything was catchy. I don't know. Yeah, that's how I always uh, felt. We might go on tour with them. I think we'd be a good band to open up because Monkey Saurus. He's friends with the Dickies, and out west he came to one of the shows. Super nice guy. And um, but I was just curious. It was never a band that really. I, I I know they've got fans, but I never really liked them that much. Yeah, me either. So, yeah. Maybe it's just yeah. the whole gimmick. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. I just never never got into them. Cheeto likes that stuff. Oh, they put on a great show. And I was like, it's like, oh, Eric Clapton's playing on a song. It's like, I don't care. Who's, <laughs> you know, if the songs aren't any good, who cares if Eric Clapton's on it or if you got Matt Freeman from on bass? It doesn't matter if the songs suck. So yeah. I don't care, you know, go to see confetti flying out of cannons and bubbles floating <laughs> through the friggin' air and the singer's right. got wings on because yeah. the songs stink. But I saw a video on Facebook yesterday and I thought for a second it was that band Angel because they're like all in white. And like, you oh, remember the band Angel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, what was the name? Um, they were the terrible, guy. but I remember them, you know. He got the guitar player. He the Dolls asked him to play with them. Aerosmith wanted him. Um, he's got the worst face lift plastic. Yeah, I actually saw him in Nashville like Punky two Meadows. years ago. Punky Meadows. Punky Meadows, dude, yeah. I was terrified. He kept coming around <laughs> to where I was. I kept moving. <laughs> that dude creeped me out. Well, they were like on Casablanca with Kiss. Yeah, with Kiss. And they were like, Kiss was the dark side and Angel was the other. They dressed up in white and stuff. Right. 
They yeah, have the logo up. that could go upside down. It would read the same thing. Exactly. I right? just heard about that recently. Yeah. I didn't know that. My friend Eric Law from Boston, he was always taking pictures. He saw them recently. He told me, he said, I, I said, he said he was standing next to Punky's wife. And I said, what's she like? And he goes, dude, her plastic surgery is worse than his. And uh, <laughs> so I always wanted to go see him. But um, yeah, so, but Angel, geez, it's too bad they didn't make it. You know, you kind of feel sorry for those guys. Yeah. How do we get onto Angel? Oh, fucking addicts. That's right. Addicts, <laughs> right. The same yeah. outfits. I, I was curious because they have a lot of fans. Cheeto likes them. Dude, they Cheetah. packed this that Del Mar Hall here the other night, and like everyone I know went, and I was like, I don't, I just don't get it, man. I, I, I couldn't believe all of my friends were going. I think, I think they get away with stuff because they're like an old English band, and people kind of has that, you know, the Damned, who are a great band. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's because they're so old and they're just still playing. And yeah, I mean, I don't that's know, cool, I people, guess. No, it was weird. Yet I'll tell you what: fifteen people came up to me minimum that I did not know, never saw them before, and they're like, "Joe, queer dude, we love the queers," and I, I couldn't believe it. Boy. I didn't think I know anybody over there, but they have a rabid following. But anyway, I was just curious because I'm like, "Am I the only one who can see the emperor has no clothes here?" I just don't get this <laughs> thing. But um, exactly. This is Dan Vapid from Dan Vapid and Cheats, and you're listening to the Dummy Room. All right, since this is our Dummy Room Valentine's Day special, I put together a super special Sweet 16 of Joe Queer love songs. I'm going to vote them down and see which one is the very best of the best. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You guys want to try it? Uh, let's do it. All right, Sweet 16! Hey, bud. Let's party. Sweet 16! My goodness. Alright, so here we go with round one. Round one. Alright, so the first matchup we have number one versus I'll be true to you. Yes, I will. <laughs> yes, I will. Oh, man, that's <laughs> tough. I know where I'm going, but. Let's hear it from Joe first. Yep. Number one. Okay, number one. You're, you're right. That's... Number one is. This might be win this fucking thing. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> since you guys both voted number one, that already has majority, so that moves forward. The yep. the recording on I'll Be True to You wasn't that good, and um, Kim from the Muffs always liked that song, she told me. I love but that But the recording one. just wasn't that great, but it's a great song, but it's it's a cover, and so number one off Dump Back Down, I thought that was a killer song. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, yeah. Absolutely. All right, next matchup we have uh, Today I Fell in Love versus Definitely. Right. I, I like Today I Fell in Love best. Okay. Definitely doesn't strike me as really a pop song, really, you know, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but today uh, I Fell in Love, that, that's a good song. I like that one. It's too. weird. I thought that was a throwaway, and then Gretchen from the Smears came up, and she sang on it, and she goes, no, I love that song. So that's when I first thought it was okay, but I thought it came out great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'd go, that's for what, sure. Okay. 
You don't think definitely is a love song though? I, I kind of wrote that as a re- as a answer song to Totally by Weasel. Okay. And um, I, I do like the song. All right. Well, the next matchup is could be possibly the winner, man. We got Love, Love, Love versus I Always Knew. See, I, I like I Always Knew. If we're going love songs yep. for Valentine's Day, I Always Knew. I, I really am proud of that song and think That's... that one rules as far as a love song. It is really good. Yeah. That's that's an easy choice. Okay. Next one, next matchup is Deborah Jean or I got a girlfriend. Deborah oh, Jean. Deborah Jean. I got a girlfriend <laughs> was a dog song if you ask me, but anyway. I love that song though. I love Got a Girlfriend, but yeah, Deborah Jean all day long. That the only thing on I Got a Girlfriend that was okay was the chorus. The the other part of it wasn't that hot. So um anyway, whatever. So, right. yeah, no, it's Jean for sure. Okay. All right. Well, from your boy versus uh, I want to be happy. I, I like I want to be happy way better than from your boy. Okay. From your boy for me. Love that song. Ooh. So I got to break the tie. I'm going to say want to be happy. Fuck. A little bit of Joey never hurt anybody. Nope. All right. Well, how about uh, fuck the world or I met her at the rat? Oh, those are pretty tough to yeah. pick. I, I really like both those songs. I do too. I don't I want that one. I mean I guess I like I met her at the rat, but I don't I don't know. Either one of those I could go with. It's up to you guys. I like I met her at the rat. Yeah. 
All right, so the next matchup, we have Voodoo Doll versus All Screwed Up. Oof. Voodoo Doll. I, I would go with Voodoo Doll in that one. Yeah, yeah, me too. All Screwed Up drags a little bit. So good, though. Yeah, it's still really good, though, yeah. <laughs> Voodoo yeah. Doll's super classic. All right, last yeah. one in this round is Daydreaming or Don't Mess It Up. Daydreaming. Uh, yeah, but Don't Mess It Up kind of drags a little bit. I like that song a lot. But, I do, too. Um, um. Yeah, I would go with. Um, what was the other one? Daydreaming. Daydreaming. Yeah. Yeah. I would go with that one, but uh, don't mess it up. So I, I kind of like it, but I, I do like it, but I like Daydreaming better. Round two. Okay. Well, that brings us to round two. We're gonna do them as quick as possible, guys. We don't want to keep Joe all night. But we got number one versus uh, today. I fell in love. Number uh, one. I go with number one. Okay. How about I always knew or Deborah Jean? I will always go with I always knew over pretty much anything because okay. I really <laughs> thought that was the epitome of don't break. Hugh and B-Face could not stand that song. They didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> you know, when I did Punk Rock Girls, the same, you know, they they were like, oh, dude, we got to get back to the beat off stuff. This Beach Boys stuff is just too much. Yummy, yummy Punk Rock Girls. And I always knew... I was so proud of I Always Knew. People play it at their weddings. I love that song. I do too. But yep. I can't argue with Deborah Jean. For me, I'm going Deborah Jean. I'm going I Always Knew. Okay. Always Knew will win that it's too one. too good. All right. So I Want to Be Happy or I Met Her at the Rat? I go with I Want to Be Happy, I think, just because it was, you know, Joey's idea. And, um, and I think that's a really, really good song. Kind of underrated. In our, I, I like that. I like both of them, but I, I like I Want to Be Happy. Yeah, me too. So that will advance. All right, so Voodoo Doll or Daydreaming? Voodoo, Voodoo Doll, Doll for me. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that'll bring us to round three. Round three. Number one versus... Uh... I always knew. We know what Joe's saying. Yeah, I guess I'll go with I always knew, though. That's a tough one. I like both those songs. I do, too. I'm going to say I always knew. You said number one, Nate? Yeah. But I'm saying I always knew, so that will win that one. Damn. Don't you know that it's going okay? I want everyone to see that Everything's coming up roses Wherever you hang it with me When we're goofing or clapping And nothing at all And open the day last a week Nothing else matters No, nothing else matters to me My heart's going so fast But what can I do these days? It's got a reason to be I'm not walking down locks Only highways or more I finally got something that's me when we're goofing up laughing at nothing at all And open the day last a week And nothing else matters or nothing else matters to me Always looking for someone to kiss me You're not always hoping for someone like you That would always shine bright like the stars And from others we found in love, in love And I always knew you were the one for me and I always knew you were the one for me 
All right. I want to be happy or voodoo doll? Voodoo doll. Yeah, that's kind of tough. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I would go with Voodoo Dog probably. I thought that was a pretty, that's an underrated song, and I really like that one. Final round. So final round, man. It all comes down to I Always Knew or Voodoo Doll for the greatest Queers Valentine's love song. Um, don't you know that it's going okay? I don't know. I'll probably stick with God. I like both those songs. I, I guess I'll stick with. I always knew. I'm going to the yeah. finish line with that one. I guess. Writing it out. I'm a, a voodoo doll man. There you go, Joe. I, I don't mean to kiss your ass, but that is like one of the greatest songs ever written. Oh, for sure. That's my vote too, which means voodoo doll for the win.
I, just, I wrote that completely myself, and then J.J. Razzler had a solo. I gave him credit on that because he wrote the guitar solo, and then the idiot never showed up in the studio. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to come up with that solo. Da, 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 da. I really like that song. I it's it's not that well-known, but I, I think it's a great song. I agree. I love that. Oh, yeah. That, like, pre-chorus, all the girls think they're above me. Absolute brilliance. Yep. Yeah, that one that one came out pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, no, I agree with that. Those are two good songs. Yeah, I, I, wins. I mean, uh, so what song one, won? Voodoo Doll? Yeah, Voodoo Doll wins yeah. it all. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that, boys. <laughs> nice. All right, Joe, that was fun. Um, so you got some shows coming up? Playing a few shows in uh, March? Yeah, I guess we're going out for five shows in March. Um, up to, we're playing Reggie's with the Dolly Rots. Yep. We kind of tour ended up there, and so we kind of jumped in on that show. So that's why there's a bunch of bands. We co- sort of muscled our way in. Um, and then I think we're playing St. Louis again. Or you something. Are. I think it's a, a fucking Thursday, though, dude. So I'm going to either have to take off work or miss it. I haven't figured out what I'm going to do yet. i got to look at my money. <laughs> where, where is it? At FUBAR? I don't think it's FUBAR this uh, time. Red Flag? Yeah, it's like it's the new Red FUBAR. Flag. They're moving it. It's a different place, yeah. yeah. I always like FUBAR because it's near Pappy's Smokehouse, so totally. we can walk over there and totally. get our Pappy's fix. But um, yeah, anyway, we're doing five shows, and then the main thing is we're, we're gearing up, getting ready to do the album, so um, we'll get the whole gang together. And, and so I don't know. I never know how the album's going to come out, but I think it's going to come out pretty good. And uh, I'm really excited. I wish I could tell you some of the titles, but I don't want to. I will when we're off the air, but I don't nice. want to. Um, <laughs> um, I don't you. want to uh, spill the beans on it. But yeah. uh, we got some pretty good ones, except Shirley needs a dildo. That's one I, I will own <laughs> yeah. up to. But we got some pretty good ones, I think. Right on. Well, when the record's a few weeks out, then you come back and we'll push it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then we go to Europe. So, uh, you know, one thing I've been recording a lot of bands I really think are great pop punk bands. Blurred from Florida and Jack and the Neoffs from up in Jersey. I I did both their albums, and uh, I, I just wanted to mention those bands because they're two of the younger bands that I think are just really killer pop punk bands. I, both they both did albums that start to finish. I I. A lot of songs I wish I wrote, really cool songs. So I did want to mention them as up-and-coming killer bands, not just because I recorded them at all. Right. I was like, damn, those bands are good, seriously. Are you yeah. recording uh, your new record at your studio or what? Yeah, we're doing it here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, one of my buddies, Stone's going to come in and engineer, and we're going to do it here. Yeah, I, I have a ball. My studio's I built in my garage. It's a smaller thing, but I got like all the, you know, thousands of dollars worth of gear but we get a really good drum sound did you guys hear that song we did ramon's christmas yeah 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 Yeah. well listen to the drums on that dan's gonna mix the album and um we did it right here and i thought that was one of the best good ramonesy drum sounds we had gotten so we're gonna kind of stick with that side of the street i i really thought that was a great sounding and then we did Down in the Shadows here, and then Dustin from the Ataris mixed it. Yeah, we yeah we were recording here. Cool. We'll just do it here. And um, you know the main thing making albums, if you have a good time, those albums always come out great. Love songs, Vapid was there. Jeez, yeah. we had a ball. And um, 
and 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 plus he was only in town for about 14 hours so it was the challenge of doing that and it was really fun and then you know beat off he wasn't there and and you know we missed him really just because he was part of the gang not that panic did a bad job he did a great job but uh, moved back home we didn't have any fun making that one and so i think it kind of shows don't back down we had a ball doing that lisa mar was there and larry and um pleasant screams was a ball we did that with philip hill at sonic iguana and that was fun so this album will be fun just because it'll come out great because we we're gonna have a fun time so um i'm really excited to do it and you know i i want to really show people um how good we are and and just you know keep it going um you know, kind of be the big dog in the block, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh Ben, Ben's given us a song called uh, Bubblegum Girl that he wrote, like a Chewy Chewy type song. Oh, yeah. Cool. He wrote it, he told me, years. it was a few years ago, and he goes, dude, I think I wrote the best song I ever wrote, and it's called Bubblegum Girl. And I never forgot, I was like, Ben Weasel said, this is the best song you ever wrote. Oh, my God. And it's a killer <laughs> song. You guys will love it. And, cool. uh he might sing the lead vocals. I don't know. It's hard because he's so busy. But you know, all in all, anyway, we're gearing up for the album, and um, and Can't I think wait. it's gonna come out great, man. I, I'm really psyched. So yeah, it's yeah, awesome. I'm stoked. Can't wait, man. It's been like there's been this resurgence lately of all these great classic bands, you know, putting out albums. Yeah, it's just it's awesome. Well, I think it's really important. You guys got such a good reputation for keeping this whole genre alive. And um, it's really cool. You know, look at it. It was such a special time. Yes. Look at records and that whole vibe. And especially in this day and age with, you know, politics and murders <laughs> and all this crazy crap. And this person hates this person and blah, blah, blah. That I think it gets down to the idea that I always had at a Ramon show. My life would suck and lose my job and whatever, get kicked out of the house and all this stuff. But when I went to the Ramon show for two hours, we had the light, we had the world by the balls and I, yeah. it kind of makes you forget all the other bullshit. And I think it's really more important these days than even before, you know, to have some form of escape and just realize the world's a great place and pop punk is such an important part in there. And, and so I, I'm really glad that it's still, you guys are around and it's, it's, it's so fun. And you're, you know, carrying on the tradition years later after we started, you know, the Ramones were carrying on the Ramones tradition doing this really. Damn. Thanks man. Yeah. All right, Joe, it's been great having you, you know, of course you're welcome back anytime. Um, hopefully you, um, it doesn't take another 93 episodes to get you here, but uh, definitely yeah. for the new album, anything you want to talk about, just uh, hit us up. Yeah, always welcome, dude. Uh, okay, no, thanks for doing it. Yeah, this is great. Valentine's Day. I'm very excited. So my band can get off my back, too. <laughs> uh, like, oh, when the phone didn't ring, we knew it was the dummy room. Har, har. And all this stuff. It is, you know, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, thanks. No, I really appreciate it. So, um yeah. Thanks cool. for having me on. Right on, All Joe. Right. Thanks, Joe. We'll see you later. Okay, thanks, guys. You're welcome. Have a good one. This is the famous Dr. Frank of the famous Mr. T Experience, and you're listening to the famous Dummy Room. All right. Well, there you have it. Joe Queer finally in the Dummy Room.
Yeah, no shit. 93 episodes, and couldn't wait any longer, man. We tried, you know. We got to space these, the, the big guys out a little bit, but... Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we've talked about the queers on this show so many times. Um, it's, but it's... It, dude, to have Joe talk to us about us, like, you know, we're, we're whatever we're carrying on that the tradition or whatever you know that's awesome man yeah it's pretty cool man i'm not so sure i believe all that kind of stuff but it's a nice compliment coming <laughs> yeah, from it's, him it's definitely know? not why we started you know we just started to hang out and shit but yeah anyways i think people uh i think people are gonna like this one hope so man you know yeah joe was uh yeah super nice yeah it's really fun yeah and we're getting a new queers record i don't know when but yeah, man, that's super exciting. I mean, it's been like ten years, you know. Yeah, yeah, forever. So. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward yeah. to that, man. You know. Yep. Anyways, man, I got a jet. Yep, it's about that time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope you all get laid, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Dummy Room. We'll meet you back here next week for another fun episode. Happy Valentine's Day to you and yours. Ta-ta for now.